So man, when uh, when did you decide you're gonna start healing for a living? Like that's what you wanted to pursue. Uh, well, I don't really know if uh, it was kind of more of a family goal, and I actually wanted to uh, to head when I was like 11 and 12 because I had a hard time catching. But my dad headed and my sister headed, my grandpa headed, so there wasn't any healers in the family. And so I started healing, and it just kind of evolved to where when we were junior rodeoing, uh, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of healers, and not saying I was very good at it, but I could catch something. And then later, you know, the family always wanted someone to go to the NFR. You know, my grandpa missed it by, I think, $700 in the calf roping, and that was always a goal of his, and he tried, you know, a lot of years, and he never made it. So then my dad came along in the calf roping and he pursued the calf roping. And so the, the family was always real invested in rodeo and uh, the NFR was a, a goal, I think. So as I got older, it just seemed like this was the only um, chance that I had, the only event that I had that I could even potentially do it. And, you know, looking back now, some of that was uh, family driven and a goal of the family and uh, support from them. So it, I don't even know if there was a day or a point when like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, it was just always known that that was the, the goal, right? So every day you woke up and you, you worked at it and I never felt like it was work. I never felt like I was forced to do it, but it was always just uh, a, family, a family goal. And I tell people all the time, they kind of find it odd. I'm not very good at uh, anything mechanical or anything electrical anything other than roping but growing up if my grandpa was working on a tractor he didn't force me to be there working on a tractor he would actually encourage me to go hey just go rope i got the tractor go rope your donkey if they were branding cattle or docking cattle which was right at the end of our arena i would be, go over there and try to help and they'd say hey no just go just go rope keep working at your roping well we got this and uh, so i had a lot of family support and um, it was always just kind of a family goal and just known that that's what we were, we were trying to do. And it just so happened that healing was the only event that I had any ability to even be close. So right. it's kind of funny when you say that, like, uh, mechanical, electrical stuff like that. Cause, uh, I don't even have that excuse of like, I was encouraged to go rope. I'm just really bad at all that <laughs> right? stuff. Like I, I can't right. do anything. Nikki says the only thing I can like fix is a sandwich. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but man, uh, so where, where did you grow up at it? La Lahana, right? Lahana. What, what was, yep. you know, what's the area like? And uh, so growing up, I thought that you know, we had everything we needed. It wasn't until I got to college that we actually put in, it was some sort of uh, data finder, right? I found out like Lahana was one of the two poorest towns in all, or counties in all of uh, Colorado. It's actually Otero County is the second poorest county to the one right beside it. And we always had everything we needed, but looking back, uh, my family, you know, they, they worked extremely hard to have uh, to give us what we had and to give the opportunity that we had. And there wasn't anything going on in Lahana. There was no, uh, not that I remember, you know, you, there was no movies, there were no malls, there was nothing to do. And all we did was, uh, was rope. So I would get my, my family, they live maybe like six miles from the school. 
I'd get off the bus at four o'clock and all the horses would be saddled and we'd rope, 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 and then go do your homework, start again the next day. And, you know, just growing up, I don't remember doing a lot of hobbies or um, other things. People ask, you know, you're from Colorado, do you ski? I've, I've been skiing one time, but no, uh, I'm not a skier. I'm not a snowboarder. I don't like the snow. Um, so in that area, there wasn't just a whole lot to do, but besides riding and riding rope. So, um, I think that's one reason that we went in that direction. A pretty rural community too, right? Yep. Like it's a long ways away from everything. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's the part of Colorado is pretty flat South, too. Southeastern. Yeah. yeah it's, a lot of people think Colorado mountains and it's not, it's uh, flat dry land, a uh, couple hours to Kansas. Maybe a couple hours to Boise, Oklahoma. Yeah, John Denver's really full of shit. Yeah, yeah on that part. <laughs> on that part. He'd never seen that part. So, man, um, you told me something that I, I found really interesting. Uh, and, and, you know, growing up in Lahana, like, and just in Colorado in general in that, that area, there's there's some guys around that rope well, but I, I'm sure they're not, like, super close. So, like, there's not a the high end uh, of competition did it feel like it was there was a lot of guys when you were growing up or you know as you're kind of getting to to where you feel you're a pretty competitive healer a kind of open level healer uh well growing up you know there there was a lot of really good ropers that i looked up to and uh the, the competition at the time you know i felt like yeah it was it was pretty serious and some of the stories i tell are um you know, J.D. Yates, he would show up at these Wednesday night jackpots on show horses, and he might go, I don't know, 30 out of 35 steers and just train wreck every one of them. Like, even to this day, I haven't seen that kind of healing. It was a different kind of healing. Yes, they were show horses, but uh, he might catch 18 of them around the belly. And these horses, we, we, I still haven't seen horses that stopped this hard. So, uh, and at the time, you know, Jay Wadhams would still show up to the jackpots and uh, Brett Tanazi, Brett Taneri. Uh, so at the time growing up, there was a lot of really, really good ropers. Jay Ellerman, Joe Roderick. And uh, you could go on a Wednesday night and see some pretty impressive team roping. You know, I know it's evolved over time and it's gotten different nowadays because we're talking 10 or 15 years ago. But uh, Wednesday night opens, they might have 100 teams. And, you know, Brock Hansen would have been like in high school and Garrett Tanazi would have been right there. So a lot of really good ropers. And I think that's kind of what made me gravitate towards it, too, is uh, there was that, that was the place to, to be. Right. That was the, the thing that was happening as far as the, the sports or the, the rodeo culture was the team roping was really gaining momentum. And uh, there was getting to be more and more money to be won in it. And as I was a young kid looking up you know, that's kind of where, where I wanted to go. People I looked up to would be Garrett and Brock Hansen and uh, stuff like that in the area. It's it's kind of unique, too, to, to think about that because there's not a lot of areas where you get that type of that type of caliber of guys showing up. I mean, you've got show horse guys to NFR qualifiers. I mean, where J.D. can do both of it and, and Jay and all those guys can, you know, so you got it exposed to really good horse flesh, too, and what it – guys that could ride great horses and then guys that could compete at the highest level too. And, and then, you know, you probably had peers kind of guys the same age or just a little bit older than you. Cause like, I remember that Brock in high school, he's a little bit older than yeah. me, 
but it was nothing nice. Like he was unreal. I always thought watching watching him grow up. So a lot of guys. Yeah, he was about as good as you'd ever seen. And if there was a point that I ever decided I want to be a healer, there I went. So my sister is the same age as Brock, and they'd always have uh, jackpots after the high school rodeos, fifteen a man and up. And he showed up on a horse that I believe, uh, don't quote me, but I think this horse won the world in maybe the AQHA. And his dad owned him, and it was a bay. And uh, some very impressive healing. And I was probably, let's say, 10 or 11 years old, and I thought, okay, that's that's what I want to do. And what's funny is the horse was bay. That seems to be all I, I want to ride still. So maybe there's something in there that... Uh, um, pushes me towards bays but that if there was a moment i thought that's what i want to do that's probably it right well man um so growing up that's that's the deal you you know that's what you know that's what you're doing you love to do it and uh family family supports it so it kind of feels like that's that's kind of the purpose right Mm -hmm. so getting into you know as your healing advances i know um i know you're putting it together and kind of trying to to take that next step, right? And one of the guys, at least when we were around, like I was around you a little bit, you mentioned Speed and mm-hmm. going to Speed's house and and learning a lot from Speed. So, kind of take me through that because that stage was it. You when you go to Speed, um, what, where are you at with your roping, and what are you trying to to figure out, what, and what kind of came out of that? Uh, well, I think the. Uh if you follow a little bit of the course of what I had going on is I I had one really really good horse before I went to speed I went to speed like maybe at 19 and I had not gotten any professional help up to that point but I some of it was of you know my family considered ourselves horsemen which actually did hinder me a little bit when you think you we don't need to go get help because we we know what we're doing. That, I think that was the, one of the biggest things that held me back. So, so I was doing well. I was roping well. I was uh, winning a little bit. I think I was probably maybe a nine when I went to speed. And that was the first professional help I got. I went down there. I thought I actually roped really, really well to the point I thought, man, he might even want to rope with me. Like he, this was pretty good healing. Well, I mean, and I- he just uh, it wasn't that impressive to him right i thought i did good and one of the big things i took away from that was he said hey your horses aren't very good now the the really good horse that i had he'd been crippled for like maybe six months so i didn't take him and i left there and i remember thinking originally that i wasn't real happy about it i was like man what does this guy know these horses aren't that bad and uh, i thought i did good but by the time I got to Colorado, he, he was living in DeLeon at the time, so I drove from there to Colorado. I'd already decided, okay, I'm just going to sell them and start over. So that's what I did. I sold them all and I started over. So I went back a year to the day. It was always over Christmas break. And I showed up and I came with three colts a year later. And he said, well, this isn't what we talked about. You know, I said you needed two finished heel horses, good ones, and you have three colts you know, that you couldn't go to an open open on. And I said, well, we don't have the money to buy a finished one. And even if I did come up with the money to buy one finished one, that's still only one horse. I can't jackpot and do all that on one horse. And so I showed him to him and he said, those two, no good, get rid of them. And then the Bay, which was sports center, I'd just gotten him and I had him in like a year. He said, that one, that one's good. So 
that's uh, the direction that speed helped me on is uh, knowing that there is another level, right? I never really broke down certain things in my swing. I never really broke down certain things on my horses that they had. or had. I wasn't really into the horsemanship up until speed. But what did happen was I lost the black, and he, my, the black was my good heel horse before that, and then speed pointed out that, okay, you're going to have to get mounted, right? And that's what led me on the path of, okay, we don't have the money to, to go buy these really, really nice horses that I do need, so I'm going to have to somehow either learn to make them, uh, learn to find them, stuff like that. And right in there at 19 or, pro yeah, probably 19, I started the first person I went to for help with horsemanship was Mike Major, which he's going to be on the road to the horse this year. And uh, very, very good colt starter, horseman, ranch versatility, um, cowboy, right? So I go to Mike Major, and uh, he was roping on this black mare, um, I don't remember exactly what her name was, but she was a show horse. And he ran three steers on her, run up there, roped her, slid her, you know, just steer stops. He slid her probably 18 or 20 feet. And I said, man, how long have you been roping on her? And he said, no, today's the first day. I've never roped on her. He said, I got to go to this Magnificent Seven in uh, California. And this is the horse you have to steer stop. So I'm going to steer stop. And that's really when I knew that okay there is something with this horsemanship this is a different level speed is correct i've got to figure out how to get better horses make better horses because this guy he said this was the first three ever run on him and that was the, probably one of the coolest horses i'd seen too so that's kind of how all of the horsemanship started getting directed that way what about that though like being 19 years old and being a nine healer that's it's a it's a it's a really it's a great thing. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. It's really rare to see. Even now it's rare to see, right? But being that young, it's hard to be have any humility. Right? Yeah, it's, it's good, but it's a curse too because you think, man, I'm something, I'm something. And you are, this is how I try to describe it to people, you are good for your age group. Right, you are good as a, in the juniors. Say you're a seven, and you're in the. You think, man, I'm the best. I'm the best, and some of that leads you to not try to keep improving. Like you want a rope, and you're trying to keep improving, but you really don't understand how far you have to go. Then you get to high school, and say you're one of the top ropers in the high school division. Then you get to college, and you're going. And the whole time you're thinking, man, I'm the guy, or I can compete with these guys. Uh, I'm going to get out, and I'm going to be successful. But as soon as you get into the pro rodeos, what happens? You're not in your age group anymore, right? Now you're competing against Clay O'Brien, who has been doing it for 25 years, right, or more, and he's complete professional, right? He knows how to – it just – it all changes, right? Once the age group factor comes out of play, now you are way, way behind. And the humility and the, the – that you needed through high school and college of just saying, hey, I gotta keep getting better, I gotta keep getting better, I need to fix this, I need to improve that. Um, you know, I, I, it, sometimes it gets hard to, um, to, to keep that focus because you are the best in your, your age group or one of the best or competing for, to win and then all of a sudden you're not, you're at the very, very bottom. Well, and two, this is a time where um 
social media isn't a thing and so you don't really yeah. get exposed to like what is really out there until you probably experience it in person right yeah huge thing i 100 percent agree with that and what i would follow that train of thought with is we would go once a year to the junior world team roping at the time it was a huge huge event and the reason my dad would take me is he kept saying we need to see where you are against the other kids in your age group you know we've heard about uh, how good Joel Bach is, right? We've heard about how good dry stoner ropes. Uh, let's see how, you know, where you're at, what we need to work on. And that's only one time a year, you know, that is, you go down there, you see what, uh, um, you've heard about, then you come back. And a lot of times we'd come back and that was the like, Hey, we got to keep working at it. Those guys are good. Wow. Um, and that was like the one time a year, you know, you think, okay, we gotta, gotta keep pushing, keep pushing. And, uh, you know, when I got to Speeds, he was the first person that we didn't video stuff ever. You know, we just watch it, go rope, watch it, go rope. That was the first time you st we st I, I started videoing stuff and seeing the, the potential of what videoing could help us with and seeing, okay, you're a nine, but you're not a 10, right? You're a nine, but you're not the best in your age group. So where are the, the things to, you got to start. Um, improving on you know what's hard about that is how do you uh, how do you maintain it you know how do you uh, how do you take something like that um, when it's it's a, probably a pretty big shock hearing something like that from speed and it's probably really discouraging so at that point you know when he tells you your horses ain't good you know, are not good enough and is not impressed and it I mean that's got a wreck your whole belief system, right? Like it's got to, I mean, your confidence and everything, it's, it's probably got to hurt maybe one of the, <laughs> more than anything, you know, that at that point in time in your life, right? As far as what, you know, what you see as, as a roper. Yeah, I think uh, up to that point and even a little bit after, you know, I was, your focus, you're, you're running on pure confidence and a little bit of ignorance, just thinking, yep, I got it, I got it. And then that throws in a little bit of a, um, like you said, a shock. Even worse than that is in the years after, what happens when you find out for reals that, hey, I'm not, I've got a lot of um, to work on, I'm not that good, right? So now how do you compete at that level knowing that you don't have the best swing, you don't have the best horses? It, it was out, sometimes it's easier to compete uh, a little bit ignorant, right? But once your eyes are open to it and you realize you are that far behind some of the very, very top guys or your horses are that um, they're not in the same level, once you're aware of that, now you don't even have the false confidence anymore. So in the years after that, I think that was even more difficult than the, the first years of being a little bit ignorant, just being like, yeah, I can compete against these guys. I, I know I'm young, but I can. My my horses are the same and they're not right you're not even driving the same the same vehicle so um the years after that i think might even been more difficult then because now you're you're having to almost like trick your mind into like hey, i can do this i can do this but in the back you, your little guy is saying uh you you know that this horse isn't as good as theirs right you know that uh your swing isn't as good as theirs but i mean you get through it so the other thing to think about too, um, 
confidence is great because it means like no hesitation you know you believe in what you're doing well as soon as you have it the other way well your horses aren't good enough well now you have an excuse to lose mm -hmm. and so when you do lose it's like well i mean my horses ain't good enough so now you've got an out when you before you even show up and that, and i think that's where confidence really like starts like that's what it's like to not be confident in your when you know ignorance is it's key sometimes but it's also can be you know, what stops mm -hmm. a lot of guys. And I think that's why you see a lot of really good, not as much anymore. I think that's probably one of the best things to come from a lot of like videoing and social media is, you know, there's, when we were growing up, there were a lot of kids that wrote really good and there's not very many of them around that even wrote hardly at all. You know, like there's, there's been some that have kind of made it through, but it seems like a lot of them have kind of just quit completely I, I never see him yeah. anymore you know yeah i agree with that what i would think what i think is different today than when i was in high school is there was a feeling that uniqueness in your style or your hand-eye coordination was what made you great you were special yeah yeah you they never talked about form they never really talked about and there was a lot of different ways to heal and no one really there was no consensus in my opinion of which style was the best but because the styles were very like wide and varied well nowadays it seems that it's getting tighter and tighter in the fact that this is the style that takes you from a nine to a ten or to a top ten right so what happens in my opinion is people's style maxes out now does it max out at a seven does it max out at eight does it max out at a nine but there's going to be a point where whatever your style is, your uniqueness is, uh, it it that's all that all it that's all it can take you to, right? And then after that, and definitely the healing, it becomes form. Well, then you see guys like Travis Graves who've had a similar style for a lot of years, and it's very uh, competitive. It it has worked for a decade, uh, two decades, right? Yeah. Um, and that would be where I'm saying you see everybody starting, the top guys, they all heal very similar nowadays. There's no uniqueness. There's no, uh, uh, there's a little bit, but not freestyle different stuff going on. It's pretty um, down the same path. They, they might put a little of their own flair on certain things, but uh, you don't see guys showing up doing their own thing and you can just look and say no that's not that's good like yeah you're nine but that's not going like it's not going to work you're going to cap out and uh i think that's where right now if if people come to me and ask for help is you can just say right off the bat okay fundamentally you have holes in your swing now i don't know where you're going to cap out maybe you are better with your hand-eye coordination than I am, or maybe you are, uh, you see things faster, right? Maybe, maybe you, uh, have better timing or something, but it's not, you're going to have to fix that swing to, uh, to really become a top, top healer. I'm curious about this. Cause one thing, when I see a lot of, a lot of healers, there's not guys with really the same swing. You know what I mean? Like they're like, when I say that, like, Jade's swing isn't the same as Travis Graves' swing as far as like loop size, their build, like, you know, swing speed, things like that. Like it, it changes. So would you agree with that? Like as far as um, the, a lot of healers have kind of a 
a different way in which it swings or like the the angles of their swing and things like that there's there's some variables correct i think there's some okay. uh, i don't think there's a lot i think when you see a different swing it kind of has to do with body type but the mechanics of the swing are very very similar so like that's when we, you know we were talking about it in a, a rundown episode that we did uh for, you know, shout out to X-Factor Oakland, video yeah, shoot, that's uh, right. uh, watch the video, but you kind of break down like a few things in your swing that kind of allow you to get it down to the feet, like your your hand being on the inside of your elbow and, mm -hmm. and things like that, so you can kind of get it to the ground faster. Like there's a lot of similarities that these professional healers have that have had long careers and great healers. Like there's a lot of similarities mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah, and when I say flare, like people put their own little flair on it, it's because in my opinion of their body type, right? So the mechanics are all the same, but everyone's, uh, you got different arm lengths, different heights, right? So now the angles change. So you do have to put somewhat of your own flair on it. But once you get past the mechanics of now the mechanics aren't correct, then it becomes harder and harder to heal at a high level. Right, right, yeah, like, you know, shots are more difficult times are faster mm -hmm. um, and then also the the horsemanship side of thing i think i think that's kind of the you know the thing that I, i'm so i think that with your roping you've done a great job at this and it's i think it's probably one of the coolest things is for you to get sports center and have that mindset at nine, 20 years old yes yeah, 20 yeah. 20 years old so Talk to me about that, you know, as you, um, you start to shift to how to, you know, you go to speeds for the second time and the focus is now horses. Mm -hmm. Sports Center, in my opinion, was, was one of the better heel horses that I've ever watched go. And, you know, you're able to, to get one that's pretty special like that. But w what did you feel in him as a, as kind of a colt? And what, you know, what were you looking for then? Uh, well, I wish I had him back now, uh, knowing what I know now when I got him. Because when I got him, it was probably the most unique feel that I've had to this day. Like the only horse that I've rode that I thought had the same similar feel was the horse called Jim Dandy that come from Richard Aguirre and that was a head horse. I'm talking about the quickness and how their feet hit the ground and how they naturally moved. Right, both of those, in my opinion, were freaks with how they rode around. One was head horse size, one was heel horse size, but they were very, very similar. And to this day, when I rode Sports Center around, I knew that this horse could be great when I got on him. And I didn't know what I was feeling, but I'm like, that feels pretty special. Um, the way that I trained him, it didn't take but maybe two years. And he always had the natural ability, but he never had that same feel again. I got it out of him. And he still ended up being a nice heel horse or whatnot. But what, he, what I felt when he was six, never had a steer healed on him, uh, that natural superstar feeling, over time I got that out of him, right? And a lot of uh, the imprinting is being able to keep that in them that natural ability, but he was just a special, special horse. Turned out really good. I could have done, you know, 80% better uh, nowadays. Like I, he turned out great. There's no telling how many times I messed him up. You know, um, 
it's it's kind of an odd thing, right? To to think that like a guy messes up on a horse, and 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 even like it's it's hard to admit to yourself, right? That you've you've wish you could do things different, especially when you run into one that special. But what what is what do you think has been the kind of the biggest mistake that you made early on with your horses compared to to what you do now? Then, well. Uh... I think this is a, a bigger conversation than that one question. And what I would go with is when you're doing the healing, uh, I, this is me, me personally, I haven't seen any, let's say, how would I say this without um, being, the more people try to be horsemen in healing, in healing, just healing, it seems like their healing gets worse and their horses get worse. Okay, so anytime I've seen people start to work on their healing or their horsemanship and their healers, okay, I'm going to become a horseman. I'm going to focus on the horse. All of a sudden, their healing drops off and the heel horses drop off, uh, which is odd, right? You would think it would be the other way around. But in my opinion, what ends up happening is once you start trying to go down the path of horsemanship, it's many, many years before you actually start to be able to create the feel that we're looking for. So the more that you just kind of start getting in there and picking on them, picking on I would call picking at them, yeah. right? It's years of picking at these horses until you actually become uh, a horseman and understand the feel, right? So the reason the, the healing goes down the reason the horses go down is because you are constantly picking at the horse, right? You think you want something, but you don't really know what you want. A lot of the criticism I've always had from people from on the outside of my mentors is you're always picking at the horse. Why, why are you always picking at the horse? Right. And the deal is, okay, I agree. I'm picking at the horse, but I want a certain feel. I've felt it before on different horses. Yeah. How do I get the feel? right? You're okay with your horse being flat, not dragging his, not dragging his butt. You heal the steer, you dally, you're fine with it. Okay. I don't want that, right? I want a certain look. I want a certain feel and I want them to drag their butt. To, to, to get that, you're going to have to mess up a lot of horses. You're going to have to pick on a lot of horses, right? And you're going to ruin a lot of horses until one day you finally get the feel. Now, the feel is what I describe as getting in and getting out. You're sitting on your horse, and I want my horse to do whatever it is, one maneuver. Okay, after you have picked on so many and ruined so many horses, you're going to know how to get in, meaning ask for the cue. Apply pressure. Apply the pressure. Yeah. Get the response or wait until you get the response. And the moment you get the response, you get out, and you put the horse back down right? Instead of what picking out a horse is, you get in, you, you want a certain response, but you don't know how to get it. So now you're in and you've applied the pressure. You fiddle around in there and you kick on them and you pull on them. You don't ever get the response. You stay in there. You keep kicking on them. You keep pulling on them. And then you let them out and you, maybe you never got it. Maybe you did, but it was five seconds ago. That's what I call picking at a horse. So when people, in my opinion, decide 
that, hey, I'm going to start working on my horsemanship or I'm going to start making them slide or I'm going to get a better corner. They're in the beginning stages of horsemanship in general. Just if you were to go out and ride your horse, no healing involved, you're a beginner at horsemanship, right? And they get worse before they get better, the horses and the rider, right? So that's where you see that drop off. Um, So with that said, the best horsemen in the world, in my opinion, they get in and they get out extremely fast, right? They can diagnose the problem. If there's no problem, if, if, if it's not a problem horse and they want a certain feel, they can get in, apply the pressure, get the exact response using their feet, using uh, whatever tools that they have at their disposal, and they get out extremely fast. So true horsemanship, in my opinion, is having your horse where you're up there doing nothing. I'm just sitting on a joyride, just a, a couch. And then when I ask for a certain response, they give it to me instantly and I get out, they put them back down. So that's the opposite of picking at them, right? Picking at them would be being in all the time, all the time, just feet, legs, feet, legs, feet, legs. No, do this, do that. True horsemanship, in my opinion, is on the other end of the spectrum of I'm going to be up here and I'm not going to do anything. My horse is going to lope, collected on a loose rein, drive, drive, drive. If I steer, he steers over to the left. If I steer to the right, he goes to the right. If I pull on the reins, he drags his butt, right? And that is, that is like 12 years of picking at him, picking at him, picking at him. So Sports Center, he got picked on all the time, all the time. They lose confidence. They lose, uh, they lose um, their, they don't like their natural feel. They'll lose that. And they get to where they'll do their job, but they don't love it. You know, and those are all the things that I've seen in in the horsemanship as it's progressed on. So do you think, you know, as you're trying to get to that that stage, right, um, of becoming a horseman, would you recommend to someone that, or from your experience, you could do it over again? Would you pick like less to the point of where it's not enough, or would you push and be picky to the point where it's still too much so you know where that line is because i i think that's the deal is you try to find the line of like well a you got to know what buttons you're hitting and asking for and and i don't think many people even know that like i i would say the percentages of people that actually know what they're asking for is very small i would say it's in a 10 percentile even at the i think even at you guys that rope a lot would I would say that um so once you kind of hit that level of like you kind of got an idea of what you're doing riding a horse um would you which ones which which line are you going to try to ride a little bit more if you could do it over again so uh I think that's a great question if I could do it over again I had a chance to go work for Brad Lund when I was 19 or 20 right there at the very beginning of this yeah and I was so ignorant to the fact that I thought I was close to being a top healer. I was a nine. I had one great horse. I thought I needed another one. I didn't think I needed to go to Brad Lund's and uh, I wasn't, you know, you start out as a stall cleaner or a loper, right? And I thought, man, I'm, I'm too good for that. I don't need to be loping horses in circles. Uh, 
if I could do it again, I would have went to Bradlons and I would have loped horses in circles until he would have said, okay, rope on this one. I would have put in my six months of work until he would have started using me uh, on some horse, some better horses to get the feel of what he puts in the horse, okay? Instead of what I, what I did of go here and get a little bit of help and then go pick on them and then go here and get a little help and pick on them. And the reason I say that is up until about three years ago, maybe two years, two and a half, I still think I was picking on them. And I know I've had the feel here and there, but I can't keep it in them. And what happened was uh, Dean Tufton hired me. I go to Dean Tufton's and there's two or three great trainers there. One of them was named Jimmy Paul and uh, Sean Grant. Both of them were extremely helpful to me. But one reason, you know, they're, they're great people. One reason they were extremely helpful is because I'm riding Dean's horses. So I get on the horse. I put my little variation in the horse. All of a sudden, in three days, Jimmy Paul had him sliding 18 feet. I get on him. Three days later, he hits his front end. Jimmy Paul gets back on the horse and fixes him in three days and then puts me back on him and says, okay, heal, heal some steers. I heal three steers and the field's back. Right. Or Sean says, okay, rope the dummy on this one. I rope the dummy on him. feels great. You know, has that feel that we're looking for. And then if Shay stays on him for another couple days, it's leaving. Then I give him back to Sean. Sean kicks on him. Sean pulls on him, puts him back over here to me. I'm like, Ooh, that, that it's back. Right. And being there and riding after those guys, right. They put the feel in. I know the feel, but how, how do we just keep doing that? One of the things Jimmy Paul would uh, get very, very mad at me about was pulling on the left rein. Pulling, that's something all the healers do. And he would say, the shoulder's out, the shoulder's out, the shoulder's out, the right shoulder's out, the right shoulder's out. And he'd just harp on me. I'm like, finally I stopped. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, the right shoulder out. He was like, this right here. And he shows me. Well, that's what I thought we were supposed to be trying to do, right? Like I literally was trying to put that maneuver in my horses and he's telling me that's why your horses won't stop. The right shoulder is out. So then we said, okay, well, what should they be doing? Well, how come his head can't be to the left like this? And he shows me and I get on and I feel it. If I was to ride that horse for another three days, I'd put the right shoulder out. Right. And then it transfers into, okay, how do I make him do that? Because I, I felt that, but I can't keep him doing that. You know, and Sean's there helping me, and Sean's doing the same thing. And next thing you know, I can ride him for, you know, a couple days and keep all the same feeling. So if I could have done it again, I think I could have went to Brad Lund's when I was 19 and got the same help, right, and the same feel because I think you have to feel it first. I don't think no matter how good you are, you can't get on a blank slate and put that feel in them. You had to feel it of all uh, Jimmy Paul's experience, all of Sean's experience, all of what Brad Lund's years and years of training and experience they can put in the horse. You get on them and you, you feel what you're supposed to have. Because when we're talking about getting in and getting out, when you get in, you're supposed to know what you're trying to make them feel like. That way you can, once you feel it, the slightest motion or the, the slightest response, you get out. And uh, you really needed to have rode um, some of those higher end horses. 
one of the things I believe in at these imprinted clinics I've been doing is I let them rope the dummy and ride my good horses around. So we can talk about it all day long, but until you feel it, it's going to be pretty hard to replicate it. You know, that's, um, that's kind of cool though. Like what, what you've been able to do right with imprinted and, and now you've, cause the thing about this is Shay, you've to admit this is an extreme amount of humility, right? Cause I've always considered you one of the, the better healers and on horsemen. And to think that, you know, you, you've had to work on it so much and then to admit that you've messed up is, yeah. or did things that you didn't like, right. And, mm-hmm. and would like to do over again. That's it's, it's a hard thing to, to even, you know, be truthful with yourself. But, you know, going back to like giving those cues, the quicker you can feel it and then give it back. Well, if you think about it like that, that means the faster that horse is going to respond, right? Yeah. So I'll, uh, and I'll go into the getting in and out. I was at Corey Cushing's house. I took him a horse and I said, Corey, I'm having trouble with this horse uh, stopping. Can you help me? Yeah. Yeah. Bring him over. He gets on him. He rode him maybe five minutes, running off down there, slides 18 feet. Turns him around, comes back down, slides him 20 feet. He's like, man, I don't know. This feels pretty good to me. And I'm like, well, I haven't ever got him to stop like that one time. <laughs> so then at the same time, Tyson Benson, who's a really great trainer here in Texas now, he was working under Corey. And he's over here on another uh, horse getting him to do the same thing. And I asked the, the, I don't remember, he was the barn manager or the head guy there that overseen the whole barn. I said, what makes Corey so much better than than Tyson like they both look great to me you know they're they're extremely good horsemen and he said man I think it has to do with the experience of how many horses they've rode and how fast they can get in and get out get in and get out and that was the first person who explained to me what getting in and getting out is how fast can you diagnose the problem and get in there to get the response to get out right the longer you're in the worse horse you're making yeah because you, the the longer you um, apply pressure, you're creating anxiety. Yeah, the more yeah. the the you lose confidence, right? The horse feels like that's I've really messed up. But if it's the quicker it is, the mm-hmm. faster they're gonna respond. And and then you think about that as a as a team rope or anything that you're applying with speed. Well, the more you can uh, be have speed with this and apply a little bit of pressure and get a quick movement mm-hmm. that's control and that's a, that's like the essence of getting a control of the run and i think that's what a special horse can do is they have enough foot speed that they can do things that uh put you in spots where you would catch a higher percentage of steers it make they make it that much easier because they can they can put you in so such a better spot right mm-hmm. so that 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 is the essence is how quickly can you get to your spot and i think that's that's one thing that makes a, a a truly a great horse and how they can do it with a lot of variables right right so shay i i heard this story and it's been a long time ago but man i i feel like you've got a a work ethic that's it's just different in fact, it kind of ruined me a little bit. Like I was pretty disappointed when I seen how hard you worked at your healing when I first got to Texas. And, you know, we were living all together. I was, well, I was sleeping on a couch at the place on 3025. But, you know, you practiced to the point where I've never seen anyone that age work at their roping and their mm-hmm. horses like that. And it was, it was unbelievable to see. 
it was all day, every day, unless you were going to school um, or studying. I don't even think I seen you go to the bar. I, didn't, I mean, you didn't do anything fun. Like literally, you just you punted the the party and scene. Mm. Like you did not even touch it, and you just applied it. You know, it was just roping horses. That that was it, and you were just trying to get to that stage. When did that work ethic start to become a thing? When did you get to that spot where that's all you wanted to do? Was that just kind of kind of a benefit of growing up in Lahana and kind of what you knew? Or what do you think that was? Yeah, I don't know. And I didn't think it, I thought it was just normal until uh, maybe recent years. And you start to look at younger guys that have asked to come get help. And then you realize that ah, they don't. Like, They're soft. You, yeah. What, They're real what, soft. What, what are you talking about? You're not working that hard at it. But to be honest with you, I don't even know if I consider it work. So like even to today, uh, I find a lot of joy in it. Like that's, I think maybe it's my personality, but it's not the rope and it's the horses. It's always the horses. It's something about the fact that um, they're all the same, but then they're very, very different. Like they're, they have their own um, personalities, right? So I think it's all the horses. I enjoy being on the horse. And even today, if so, like I'll work at the outside horses, the show horses, the ones I'm getting paid to ride. But if I have a day off, I just go ride the better horses, right? And it's more enjoyable. It's, but that's what I like to do, right? So I don't know. I just, uh, so that's all I do is, I know, I, mean, I don't know anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's, that, that's what I saw. I was like, as I was getting ready to go out that night, I'm like, man, this guy, shit, he's got the lights turned on. He's. He's out there roping the donkey, yeah. and I'm like, man, this guy is just that he doesn't shut it off, and um, I think that is that a problem though, um, especially for the roping. I, and I don't think very few people can say use this excuse. In fact, I don't think you can unless there's about five people that I could even think of off the top of my head, but they just sit and grind on it so hard. Do you think that it can be a hindrance at times? Can you work too hard or think too much about yeah, it? Yes, 100%. Where my personal uh, hindrance came in was the horsemanship side of it, right? So I don't think you can rope too many and grind at it too hard, but you can sit there and pick on your horses too much, okay. right? And you, so like just roping steers, if you're out there roping steers and you rope all day, every day, and you're uh grinding that way you know i i don't there's probably a, a point when it's too much for me personally my point if it's too much is picking at the horse because it's never perfect right it's never perfect it's never perfect it's never perfect so then when you go compete you're in a different frame of mind you're thinking leave the box left leg right leg you're you're thinking doing all these training things that's where I keep saying there's a path of horsemanship. And to begin with, when you start on this path, everything is, I'm going to train the horse. I'm going to make him do this. I'm going to, and that's something I see with all these trainers. Like you turn the horse loose, the horse will not work. The more the trainer is, like the more you are going to be a trainer, the more the horse isn't good. Okay. You have to get through all of that to where you do nothing. I'm in the box and I look at the cow 
and I catch the cow. I know my horse is going to work, right? So for me personally, all those years in between just killed me. It, it, I, I couldn't compete at a high level consistently because my horses aren't consistent. Why are my horses not consistent? Because I'm out there picking on them, right? It would be better if I just kicked them in the pasture, went and grabbed him, went to the rodeo. But I'm out there picking on him for hours and hours and hours trying to get this certain feel that I needed to have stopped, went to Brad Lunds, stopped, went into just, that's what I'm saying. This course should take me 10, 12, 15 years, whatever. It should have taken five. Yeah. But because I was such a high level healer and I thought that's where I was going to go and I was still making more money than if I was go lope horses for Brad Lund, I didn't stop. My life forced me to stop and go to Dean's. And that's where the growth actually started to occur. So as far as high level healing, I don't know if grinding is too, uh, is that bad. I don't know if you can over grind, but you can, when horses are involved, then you can just start messing up your horses and picking at them and picking at them. Left rein, right foot, go over here, come over here, track, track, track. In every one of those scenarios, you are forcing the horse to do everything. So now when I'm in the box, I have to do 900 buttons before I throw my rope. That's totally different than what, and that's the whole imprinting brand, I think, is I will admit that I picked on them and picked on them and picked on them. Imprinting is the exact opposite, right? This horse, I do nothing, and he knows his job, right? I'm in the box. I look at the cow. I heal the cow. No left rein, no left foot, no right rein, no right foot. You know what I'm saying? We've taken all of which picking at them is 50 cues, 80 cues, and they're inconsistent cues. Now, imprinted horses are throw the reins to them, Sit up there and heal the steer. And if he doesn't work, he's not imprinted. I mean, to, to go to the mental side of this, right, I'm, I'm big on studying that. And one thing I'm just a firm believer in is your subconscious and conscious minds. When you're competing, they're, they're two different things, right? And your conscious mind, that's a thinking mind, it's just a slower process, right? If you've got to think, you're going to be behind, and you've got to already assume, and so you're you know you're going to predetermine things before it has has to happen. Where a, a subconscious is more of a, a reaction state of mind and a, like a flow state or zone or whatever you want to call it. But when you think about it from that that aspect, it's really hard to get into because you can't just think of like get out, heal the steer. Uh, you've got to you've got to get out hit different buttons to get to the spot and then all of a sudden a head rope might come from nowhere and turn them and then you've got to come in there and then you you feel like you're almost behind and then you you know, and i assume it's kind of like a loop you run because you're like well this my horse would need to do this and this mm-hmm. to get there and then i would have felt the head where yep, 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 as yep. opposed to you just been like man if i just if i could have got to the point where my my hands and my feet are pretty much supposed to stay in neutral. They can help a little bit as the speed of the run changes. You know, if I need to pull or need to push or need to kind of help just a little bit, they're there to help, but they're not really there to, to do more than that. And, and I think that's what you, you know, you're able to, to establish with that, that kind of horse, that kind of mindset, right? Yeah. So I would say that the, so the year I roped with Levi, um, two years ago, 
I would put a snaffle on my horse, right? And I would go ride for an hour before performance. Not because uh, the horse was a bad horse or anything, but it helped me get into the flow state of understanding and confident this horse is going to do it, right? Yeah. He is going to work without me pulling on a left rein. He is going to work if I just put him on the cow and look at the cow, heal the cow. And Levi said, man, this is what made me think of that is he said, I think you ride that horse like for you. You need to be warmed up. <laughs> and he yeah. doesn't need to be warmed up. I said, 100%. Yeah. And it got me thinking the trainers can never let go. They're always sitting there waiting for that horse to mess up to, to fix it, to fix it, or to make him do it. The, the worse the trainer is, the more they're trying to force them, then they get better, and then they're waiting for a mistake. At a certain point, if in my opinion, if you are a great trainer or you believe in your product, what is the point of training them if you can't completely throw them away and put the reins down and kick and the horse work? Right. That, that I think that's the last step of getting through the horsemanship side is it's not uh, forcing them to do it. It's OK. I've done everything I can do and I trust that you're going to do it for me personally. Once I have that trust, then I my mind can leave and I can go heal the steer. I can look at the steer, heal the steer. I don't even think of my horse. But in the path of all of it, I think that is the last hurdle to get over. Because a trainer, you want control, you want control, you want control. And the last step is no control, right? You just say, okay, man, I have trained you, and I trust that you're that good, and you will go where you're supposed to. And that's what Levi was saying with the, the horse warm. I needed the hour of warming up to know that I hit this button. Oh, thank you. It's there. Hit this button. Yep. It's there. Back up there. Oh, my cadence and my rhythm's there. When I leave, pick up asterisk, right? Okay. Now my mind can go heel steers. You know, mentally, does that, is that kind of a way of coping with like dealing with intense situations? Cause I mean, going back to, to early on in your roping, I mean, I feel like from talking about this, Shay, you feel like you haven't had that successful of a healing career, which <laughs> in the sense yeah. of like, man, you, you know, you did get the opportunity to heal for speed at the, at the U S finals. And, uh, and then you placed at the U S open with him. Right. And, uh, you, you made the finals and you made, and you had success pretty early on. Um, you, you I feel like you're pretty hard on like your outlook when you probably deserve quite a lot of credit, mm. but, um, you know, mentally, was that kind of a way of like dealing with pressure is trying to focus on my horse and focus on that so that could be your mindset going into the box? Or how, how would you try to like handle the, those moments? Because I think we got to talk about the, the U.S. finals with Speedy, right? Because that, that was a big chance for you. You know, you, were, mm -hmm. you, know, you just had got down here to Texas, right? And, uh, and you're going to school at Tarleton and, you know, this is Speed's just retired of maybe a couple of years prior, but he's still the guy, you know, you, everyone still knows Speedy's got it, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he ropes with you at the, at the U.S. Open, which is top, couple biggest opens of the whole year. So that, that chance going into that roping is different for you. You know, it has to be mentally, you know, you, and, and I think you know that you put the work in because you're, there's just, I don't think there's any more you can do. Like there's just not enough hours, right? So all of those things have been eliminated mentally 
what's that like going into it where you know, hey, I'm, I'm probably going to get some chances and a lot of people are going to be watching. You know, there's going to be the opportunity to get the next header with this, you know, uh, this guy heading for me right here. So I was, I was pretty aware that that was my shot. Yeah. Um, if I failed right there, it was going to be a couple years, uh, until. Yeah. You get another one. But you get another one. And up to speed, I had always thought if I could practice with somebody, they would rope with me. Right. And that's how I got speed. That's how I got Colby sit away. If I practice with them, they will have confidence in me and they'll rope with me. And when I went there, I knew speed wasn't worried about me. Right. Like I know he never, we'd, we'd been practicing a lot and my horses felt good. And I knew this was my chance. And there was still some of the, uh, the false confidence, right? Even at that point, there was still the false confidence. And at times you wish you could get it back, right? Because I remember what it felt like. Yeah. But you just think you're the man. You're like, I deserve this chance. Like, this is my chance, but I deserve this chance. And I remember that was kind of the, the mindset then. Um, and then later, as you can't, you can't maintain that high level for day in and day out like I was ready for those two days to to heal at that level but can you do it three days can you do it four days can you do it eight days can you do it six months and that's where you start to see horses fall apart and your confidence go you know go down and stuff like that uh the the thing you touched on in the beginning of that question was does it affect the horse part affect your mental state yeah. uh in the beginning it made it worse for a lot of years it made it worse because you are understand, you are aware that you don't really know what you're doing with the horses, right? <laughs> okay. But prior to that, you, you're not aware of it. Yeah. But then now, talking about what Levi said, it's the exact opposite. There is probably no way I could go warm my horse up, and whatever the situation is, start to worry about the situation. Once I'm on the horse and I'm feeling them moving underneath me, then everything just goes whoosh, and you're, you're in a zone or a flow state or whatever. And, uh, that's your, my release, right? So now shoot, I, I just need to go ride for an hour and I'll forget about whatever we're doing or what we're going for. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the other thing is by experience too, you've eliminated fears, right? Mm -hmm. and like missing, I'm sure you've missed fears. You've had things go, like you, you know, you've had a lot, enough failure that it's, you realize it's not that big of a deal to fail. You just don't want to do it again. And so you kind of have your way of being prepared. And, and then that's, that's it is being able to, to get on your horse. You know, what, the, the older I get, uh, my definition of failure, I would say, changes a little bit, okay? I used to think, well, maybe missing the steer at the NFR would be the worst thing in the world. Well, how about sitting on the couch watching the NFR, right? That's failure. Yeah. Right? I, missing at the NFR is definitely not I, – I would rather miss all 10 at the NFR than sit on my couch and watch it, right? Yeah. What about uh, being second high call at a big rope and, and not, not trying to win it? Right. And you just lay up and you win third. How many times are you going to have a chance to win Ellensburg? I don't know. I mean, I'm 30 years old, but, and I plan on doing it for a while, but in reality, how many times are you going to have a chance to win Ellensburg? How many times are you going to have a chance to win Houston? Right. So 
I understand there's there's money involved. Like say you're last to go at Houston, and uh, all you gotta do is catch to win second for twenty five thousand. How many times are you gonna have a chance to win Houston? What is the difference between third at twelve five, second at twenty five, and winning Houston at fifty? Everybody's gonna remember Houston, right? It's a twelve five. If I miss, I would say you win twelve five. If you win, you win. Or if you if you win first, you win fifty. Yeah. And you lay up and win second. I mean, that's still per, in situation. That's still failure because you did, take the chance, and if you if if you miss, you took the chance, right? And I think that's something that has changed over time. Is my definition of what failure really is is not missing all the time. You know, it could be a miss here or there, but in general, not taking the chance could be failure too. That's interesting. Um, I experienced that at the BFI. You know. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I got that, and I was, I I was really I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. I, I'm sure I've talked about this probably too much at this point on the podcast, but it's like, it's something that I, when I faced and looked at the clock, I was disappointed, and and then I was like, well, why am I disappointed? Uh, and take and, me through that. I've I've never uh, heard your yeah, your so, so your high back right. How yeah, fast you got to be? I think like it's it's got to be like eight third like okay, a short so eight three. What what's your mindset? Well, my horse has got a ton of run, and I already know he's got. We got the one coil shot on the way in. He's really easy to heal behind. So it's literally, I mean, two years in a row. I was, I was high teamer that year, and the year before we had a chance to be high teamer. Um, just just had a couple of mistakes. So this horse is the best horse there, period. In my mind, it's like cheating. What is is what I feel like, right? So I just know. I just got to ride him to the spot, head the steer, and it's going to be fast enough because I haven't been 8-3 all day long. And, uh, I mean, I was fifth in the first round, and I was in the top four all day long, you know. Did, so, did your mindset change on the last one? Did you see him a little bit further? Did you take an extra swing? He was stronger, and uh, no. Uh, well, then so, there, that's not failure. Well, so here's what I, I feel. The, the steer runs, steps a little bit left, and he's really running. He's the strongest one I've had the whole time. And then as I'm getting close, he gets back right. And I kind of head him as he's stepping off right. It's not like a, a reach, but there was a point where it could have been like the coil, coil and a half, like a long shot. And my horse was running too hard, I would have missed. I'd have split the horns. Um, I know that. But I, I face, that's what happens. And I look at it and I'm like, man, you know, I, I needed the money. So I just, you know, Derek Begay told me that. He's like, hey, and if you're, if you're disappointed about it, like go look at your bank account mm-hmm. after you deposit that check. And, and you know, that, that helps because definitely didn't have much money, you know, yeah. but I, I think when I'm a kid and you rope a lot and, uh, you're like, you, you're roping the dummy all the time and you think about it and you have this vision for what you want to do as a competitor, it's world titles, it's George Strait wins, it's BFI wins, like you dominate, right? And then the more I compete, the more I realize, like, you're going to go a lot of places and not even get a chance to win these ropes. Like, I've been going to BFI for a while, and I haven't even had a chance to place mm-hmm. good at that rope, let alone win it. So you know those opportunities don't come around very often. So it's like, um, I really admire the guys that can put it on the altar and take that risk and try to win that that rope or, or whatever and try to win in that situation. And... Uh, you know, I, I don't like, I don't have any regrets about it, but I definitely experienced it in the sense of, 
I wanted to win the rope and not not win second. Like I wasn't going yeah. for second at high call. You yeah, know I, I mean? don't, and I don't think that's what I. I think that. Well, that, I, that's fine, right? I I would say failure is you back in there and you are a little bit off the barrier, and then say you've been taking the coil shot all day long, and you run in there right horn, left horn, you pick him up, you go eight four, yeah, and you're like, well, the, you didn't even. That that's failure to me. And I mean, yeah. so you still win second. I don't know. That's a lot of money, but I'm saying, you you didn't you didn't take the chance, right? Not not you, but I'm saying that's where. Yeah, it, and it sounded like you did your game plan. I don't. That's just getting beat. That's different. Yeah, somebody I, beating you is not the same. I think um, just being that close, like because we were like eight thirty seven and eight thirty one is what we needed to be to win it. So you're like within a tenth of a second. So, you know, I probably could shave that off somewhere. <laughs> I probably could have scored a little bit better. You know, there's a lot of ways to win that. But I, I think, you know, getting back to it with with you, you know, the the one thing about your healing early was it was really correct, right? Like, for example, as you when you started healing for Charlie, the, the year you guys made the finals, you, you know, I is that something that started to, like, really register? Because I, I think... I mean, did you? I don't think you threw fast enough at that point in your healing career. As catcher, and you're yeah, you were catching them, right? Is that when that kind of like started to sink in? Was you know, you know, you, the the you now having those kind of roles would it have been a lot different, or what what would that have been like? Uh, I was a catcher because I had a bad swing and I had wrote a bad corner, so it's, you had no choice. Yeah, I'm a catcher because. Right, a bad swing, or I have a bad swing and my corner's bad. And I would try to fix it, and I'd try to say, okay, is it my corner's bad because my swing's bad, or is my swing bad because my corner's bad? <laughs> yeah. And so then I'd be swapping back and forth trying to figure out, well, maybe I should change my swing. Or Sounds like my whole Now, this over. is what I'm talking about is your natural ability, how you do it, right? Everyone wants to do it a certain way of their own uniqueness. Yeah. It will max out. Yeah. Right? Mine maxed out. And I'd made the NFR one time. When I was roping with Colton, I was already trying to change it. I was trying to fix it. Yeah. Right. Um, but you, that's that that's healing just good enough to starve to death. That's what that is. Right. You have to evolve. You have to change. You have to improve. Right. Come to find out, the answer is both. The swing's bad and the corner was bad. Right. So when you go to change your swing, how long does it take? Think. Give me a rough estimate of how Well, I like, went to Hedden. Okay. Uh, the, a lot of people uh, think that I went to Hedden for different reasons, but a lot of the reasons were I have this group of horses. None of them hit the turn right. And if it is my swing, I can't compete at a high level and try to uh, change my swing. That That's not going to work. I can tell you. You think about horses and how hard it is to be mentally competitive, try fixing your swing and being competitive. Cause now you're, you're, you're changing everything that you do naturally. And so I just went to heading. I got rid of all the heel horses, right? Same thing. When I was heading, I was still healing 40 stairs a day. Yeah. You know, now I'm heading again. I've been healing 50 or 60 a day. So it never, uh, it's never like I just stopped healing. You know, I had to, just stop and be able to okay i'm going to miss this one i might run by this one i've got to get to a different spot and then that's how it kind of kind of all evolved 
Yeah. So the actual mindset, because I think that's the thing is when you're in the box and or what that day is happening and you know, the practice, is that all you focus on for 40 steers a day for till it feels like you don't got to think about it or how, how does that, what does it feel like to change, to actually change your swing? Like, when do you know it's like, Hey, cause it's now your healing swings different and you, you like, you, you, you like your healing swing and you don't even think about it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I talked about it on the, the yeah. deal where I was in Morongo, California, and I watched this guy, and I thought I'd seen something, and I changed it that day. I haven't thought about it in three years. Right. My opinion is some people swing their rope fundamentally cor correct, and they've done it since they were a kid. They never think about their swing. It's always there. The delivery is always there. It's simple. They go on with their life. I personally swung my rope so far incorrect that it takes forever to get to the feet right so now you have to start floating it you have to maybe stall it in the corner and then bring it and do all this other stuff well the moment i swung it correct one time i had worked at it so hard incorrectly it's like someone gave me a calculator to do math all of a sudden and I never had to worry about it again Right. You could just see it. And then after a few times you have, you know, yeah. oh, this feels good. And, and it, then it, it never let me down. A lot of times I would try, start trying things. Okay. This is what it is. I'd try it. And then two weeks later, it doesn't work. Yeah. Right. And then you change again, you change again. This one I changed and then it never, it hasn't let me down since that's three years and it's just there. But when I watch my videos, I can tell that there is a delivery built into every swing. There's a delivery built into every swing. And I think that's, that's fun. when I say fundamentally correct, that's what I'm talking about. How close is your swing to your delivery? Right. Do you swing it a long ways away from your delivery or super, super close to your delivery? It's, um, it's crazy to hear because like, I think about it for me, if I want to, like I, I've been working on the last few days just being more aggressive heading, just, just adding a, a half coil to my jackpot shot. And when I do that, I've got to think about where my rope gets to as I pick it up. Like I, and I, that's what I got to think about, um, in the run or, you know, in the box, like that's what I, it's gotta happen. And I think, uh, I don't feel comfortable competing until I don't have to think about that. And it just naturally happens. And I don't know the, like, the amount of time it'll take. I just know that that's what it might take one day. Um, I don't think so because I've already tried it a few times, but I think it takes a little while to, to tweak on things like that. And I think that that's essentially like what I think we got a, the line. I, at least I feel like I got to ride or a lot of guys have to ride is when you, when you're adding things to improve your game, when to shut it off and just go compete. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, it's really hard to, to go compete. Cause it kind of, like I might predetermine shots like I've, like I already talked about. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think I find that where you can see something in a swing and then just tweak it and then it feels like it's there for you. Yep. Yep. No, I, I agree with that. I think, I think it's, uh, the swing is probably one of the harder things to, to change. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things that if you let it get away from you, you might not be able to change it. And uh, there's guys that can't compete at the highest level because they didn't address it early enough. And um, they simply probably can't put in enough work or don't know how to, how to, 
change, uh, you know, change it. And I mean, honestly, I think you could change a swing, but it would take, it might take years. Yeah. What about, uh, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. So I heard this a long time ago and I, you know, when you were younger, someone told me like, I know that Shay is going to make it because there was a, I think a Denver was going on and you might've been in high school. And uh, a lot of the guys would come up to an indoor building and practice and rope. And, uh, and you kind of made plans to go over there and rope with them. And, uh, you know, the, the old trailer that you had, the, what was it, the Re- Lean Mean? Yeah, Rodeo Machine. Yeah. What was that trailer, yeah, by the way? TNR. It was just a local brand right there. Local brand, TNR, had beds yeah. in it. Did it have AC or anything in no, it? No, no, no. Steel trailer, yeah. right? Like, I mean, when you were there in Stephenville, when you made your first NFR, you still used the trailer quite a bit. Yeah, I, bought, yeah. I had to borrow that year because that's all I had was the TNR. So if I needed living quarters, I just borrowed or caught rides or stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year you made the finals, that was your yeah. only trailer you had. Um, but anyways, uh, it's cold in Colorado. And uh, they said that that morning when they show up, and this is a professional healer and a far qualifier, they're like, uh, we show up to the, the building and Shay had planned on roping with us the next morning and he lived quite a ways away so he stayed the night before and he slept in the woman's bathroom at the indoor at the yeah. indoor because that was the only room with heat in it you know yeah. the only spot with heat in it. is that true uh well that the, it's actually that is 100 percent true but it's a different story than that uh jb james and i jr rodeoed together and then he had uh i hadn't seen him in a while and i seen him somewhere i just run into him at a gas station or something and i hey jb how are you he said come rope with me and i said yeah when the snow clears up i'd love to come rope he's like no no i have an indoor we'd love for you to come so him and his family you know they're so helpful to me over the years and gracious and welcomed me in but at this time i didn't know him real well so they actually invited me to come over there for a while i was on christmas break and it was snowing in colorado so now i have a heated indoor unlimited steers to rope and it's blizzarding outside and i was there for 25 or 30 days and i was staying in my trailer but uh it started snowing and blizzarding and then i found out that the woman's bathroom had heat yeah so i took a bunch of uh horse blankets and a pillow and i just started sleeping in there well no one used the bathrooms right so then when everybody showed up for denver uh somebody went in the woman's bathroom and they found out i'd been living in there so then jb pulled me aside and he was like hey man are you uh sleeping in the woman's bathroom (laughs) and i'm like well yeah it's got heat in there and he was like why don't you come to the house and i said because i mean you're i was so happy to have an indoor and steers to rope it didn't bother me a bit like they had a shower had a toilet it was 70 some degrees i thought i was hey you had a home i mean I, i loved it I didn't even want to go to the house, honestly. I thought it was great. So does, does something like that at make, make you kind of kind of more like chippy? You know what I mean? Like, hey, I'm willing to pay this price. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, if it, and, and when I say chippy, I mean, like, it just it adds to that motivation. It adds to that discipline. Like, hey, I'm going to keep doing this. This is, you know, if I'm willing to do this you know, this is easy. You know, do, do you ever look at things like that? Like to, or is that work ethic just like, I'm going to do it, whatever it takes, no matter what. I, I don't know about that one in particular. That one was more just, I was so appreciative to be there. I didn't want to overstep my bounds. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
you got to think this John James, he he would get us a semi-load of steers from uh, Lee Lancaster. He was feeding my horses, right? All I do is clean stalls, and I was not about to overstep. I felt so lucky, like I had just hit the jackpot, right? Yeah. Here's someone with an indoor that wants me here to heal steers, and uh, those those thoughts, what you're talking about, I don't know if they ever really crossed my mind as right. far as that. It was just... God, I thought I was, I, I thought I was in heaven like this. It was blizzarding outside, 70 degrees inside, all the steers you want. What more do you want? This is it. I'm and then I dream. think that goes back to the, you asking about the work ethic. Like, that's all I want is just steers to rope and good horses. That if I, if I had the opportunity to go do something fun or go heel steers for uh, you, you say, hey, I'm going to bring four head horses over and I had three good heel horses, I'd I would do that over go to the Cowboys game. Like that's all I want to do. I think that's important to uh, to realize, right? Is that's it's just always there for you. Like you're you're, yeah. you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Like, I will say it's getting worse too to the fact that now I don't have all these problem horses, right? I've got just uh, all these fraternity horses that I've on, I've been the only person to ride, yeah. right? So they don't pull on you. They're not bad in the box. Like the whole day's enjoyable. Right, so now if it's a Sunday and I don't have to do anything, I still just want to go ride through all of them, right? So I don't know about the 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 better horses that I'm making make me want to do it more and more and more and more. All right, man. Well, let's let's talk imprinted because this is cool. Um, because I've watched you test out your theories in the fire. You've you've messed up. You've had success. You've you know you've got. The experience from showing horses to competing at the NFR to you have you know what it takes as a healer and as a, what a heel horse needs to to do any of it you know for customers for so as you start going down this route of um, training your own horses and training horses you you develop this program that you've now really embraced uh, with with imprinted it's it's on the coffee cup. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's getting pretty official. So yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I want to I believe in it. Yeah. So, well, and it's, it's something you should believe in because you've tried, it's tried and it's tested, right? It's, it's like what, what you've put your work into. So let's talk about it, man. Okay. So someone asked me the other day, they said, uh, what is this imprinted brand? Isn't it just horse training? Like you just repackaged horse training and you're, you're just a trainer right they didn't say it quite like that but yeah th that's, that's what it that's was what it like. and i thought about it and everything that you and i've just talked about for an hour is explaining what imprinted is compared to training training in my opinion when people start saying they're a trainer and i'm going to train this horse they force the horse to do it all the time and until they get over the hump of that they're forcing them to do it. The hump is getting the horse to do it willingly and on their own, right? And that, now that, in my opinion, is what all the great trainers are doing, whether you call it imprinting or whatever. But I'm trying to explain to people that there is a, a, a difference. There is the, the hump to get over, right? And I, I do feel like the honesty that we just had in this conversation needs to be had to convey how I got there, 
right? So someone said, oh, so you're just, you know, are you going slow with the horses? Going slow doesn't train horses. Going slow just kicks the can down the road to when the problems are going to happen, right? So let's say we have this horse and we decide to go fast on him. Right off the bat, we're going to make him do some stuff and you're going to run into problems. What if I go slow on the horse? Well, you can go slow on the horse, but six months down the road, you're going to speed up. You're not going to have as much problems, right? But you're still going to run into problems. Imprinting is the difference between the speed and uh, the pressure of when you apply it. Meaning, it doesn't matter if I press on this horse today as long as I release at the right time. So let's say uh, we have uh, the heel horse and we go slow, we go slow, we go slow for six months. The moment that I run up to the steer and I pick up on the bridle range, which you're probably going to do, you're causing problems, right? So why can't we six months earlier when we start them, run them up there, know the horse is going to go by, have my situation with my header and everything set up to where I stop him, I back him up, and then where I would have picked up six months from now, I'm going to release. And then we go again, we go again, we go again. The, the imprinting happens in the changes of speed right off the bat, right? So I let him go by, I pick him up, I back him up, and I release him where six months from now I'm going to want to pick up to slow him down. Well, if we start off doing that, then six months go by, I roll him up there, and he's just going to hit the jake brake on a loose rein at the, at the point that he's supposed to. Why? Because he knows that this is where I just relax. Just come up here and relax. So in my opinion, the difference between the, the two is the understanding on the horse's part and using the speed changes and the pressure changes, mimicking rider behavior, which is me adding pressure and then taking it off with my body, is where the understanding starts to occur for the horses. Well, let's just do that day one. Let's not go six months of slow and then we speed up. We got the same problems we would have had, probably not as drastic, but if we'd went fast in a month, we got problems. We go fast in six months, we got a problem. Let's just apply pressure where they're not supposed to be, back them up, release where they're supposed to be. Now, the horses that I've done that on, they don't fall apart. You know, I've rode a, the, my five-year-old at the BFI in March. They just turned five, stayed together. I ride her all summer long, and I'm never putting them back together. They, they just know that this is their job, right? We ride a six-year-old at the BFI, six-year-old at Cheyenne in the Hedden. I let lightning ride. Um, but it has to happen from day one. I think that's um, that's what's kind of special about it because we think is at any level um, of a roper, you, that's what you want. You know, you want to be able to, if you pull your horse out of the stall and you want to go run five, ten steers after work, well, you just put your horse to the spot where you want to rope from. You rope, you go. Like, in essence, that was what the rope horse fraternity is supposed to be, like accomplished. Mm -hmm. was you're going to have these trained horses that... Um, Someone that wants the World Series jackpot, kind of a recreational guy, could hop on and go. And then this is something like, well, you, you think about that 
it just makes sense. I mean, it's kind of what I was doing a little bit, like in this with my head horses. Like I'm trying to get them to a spot and not use my reins. I don't want them to lean on my legs. I don't want them to. I want them to know the spot, and I can just kind of dictate where my spot's going to be in the run. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you can build that and and how you apply pressure and how you show that to them. But uh, what you can do, and I definitely cannot, is make horses show and add buttons and things like that because I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, as far as buttons go. But it just makes sense as a competitor to me to, well, if I ain't got to pull on my reins and my horse will sit right there, that's a lot like roping the dummy, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a lot like if I can, if this steer isn't good to heal right here and I can keep going and take another swing, another swing, well, now I can decide what shot I need to take and I can start dictating how much I win or lose and my horse is only there helping me and that to me is what a great horse is that's a winner you yep. know what I mean that, that's they exact. gotta help yep and and I think that's what a, a winning horse is they, they don't get in your way and I think that's people get hung up on buttons and this horse can just run in there and drag his ass and do all these things well yeah that's cool till a steer comes around there and is real wide legged and you're not or you're out of time and you can't heal him and you need to, all you need to do is catch that steer. Well, that heel horse just costs you X amount of dollars. So yeah. I think this is, you know, something that it just makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's pretty cool to, to see you get to that spot. Yeah. Uh, why can't we have a horse leave the box on a loose rein, rate the cow, know how to turn around and then just track for till I throw and then drag it? I mean, that's pretty simple. That's all we want. We don't need all this sting and other stuff. Um, and then I could ride him, right? A beginner could ride him. Another guy, another open guy could ride him. It doesn't matter because the horse, you just throw him the reins and you kick, kick, kick. And when you're there, throw. Yep. But uh, any time you don't start them correctly, it's in the first six months of their, their career, right? If they're started and you start pulling on them, you're going to have to just keep pulling on them. If you think about it, you come up to your spot, heading or healing, and you're asking your horse to stay there, stay there, stay there. They And this is like, say you're going slow. They never know what's past the steer. All they know is right here where you're making them stay, they, there is pressure. Right? A lot of times you'll grab the reins, you'll tighten your legs, you'll squeeze with your body. That's pressure. So they would rather go anywhere else. But no time do you ever let them go by the steer because that would look bad. Right? Why don't we have a stopper in the pen right off the bat? So say I'm on a head horse, right? And I've got him leaving the box, put a stopper in there, ask him to leave the box, hand down. And I already know he's running by the steer and the steer's going to stop. Right? He runs by, I pick him up, I back him up. The steer's still standing there because I've already predetermined and picked steers from different guys. Put him back on the steer. Keep doing it. Next thing you know, you leave the box and he is going to not go by the steer. So now you can have your hand down, you can relax your legs and just follow the steer to the back. You have flipped your behavior. You've flipped your uh, rider intensity, right? Because before you're going to come up there and try to pick up. Well, now... You're going to come to him, and when he slows down on his own, you're just going to relax. And everything is, it's its flipped. That's yeah. what. You're in the spots where naturally, like, you, your horse and, and you want to be, 
uh, you're just taking away all that pressure. And, and also that's where like, it's also uh, important to, to start understanding that as a rider as well. Like, hey, this is, this is where you're gonna have to be aware of stuff. And you know, so that's, that's kind of where you started this program. So you do a lot of lessons, personal lessons, clinics, things like that too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the lessons and the clinics are for, you know, people who are wanting to improve their horsemanship or they have a problem horse that uh, they've been struggling with and I'm real um, aware of the struggles that they're going through based off of you know my past it hasn't been easy for me so when I see someone that is struggling or not understanding it I can really relate to them and believe me whatever problem they have I've already had it and I've already thought it through for you know months and months and months so I do enjoy helping them um, and seeing the light bulb go off in their head because I've been there. I've been in that struggle, and it's not fun. N- nothing worse, right? Nothing worse. Yeah, so, Shay, where, where do we find you? You know, uh, what, what's the best way to get a hold of you, you know, if you want to, to inquire about, uh, you know, working with you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Facebook at Shay Dixon Carroll, right? Uh, I also have an email of imprinted by SDC at outlook.com and uh, there's ads on there for and flyers for horsemanship clinics roping clinics uh if you want to send a fraternity horse stuff like that we'd love to work with everybody perfect well thanks for thanks for sharing this is fun i I was i was kind of glad to confirm the sleeping in the the girls bathroom yeah no that's a good story it's a true story and uh i'd probably do it again if i could have an indoor (laughs) with free steers yeah yeah I, i think i would too yeah so thanks thank you